TED Audio Collective. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds. Thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva! You're growing a business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate, no coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hey everyone, it's Adam Grant. Welcome back to Rethinking, my podcast on the science of what makes us tick. I'm an organizational psychologist, and I'm taking you inside the minds of fascinating people to explore new thoughts and new ways of thinking. My guest today is Pete Carroll, the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. He's among the most successful football coaches of all time, one of just three ever to win both a Super Bowl and a college national championship. When I met Pete a few years ago, I was surprised by how different he was from a stereotypical football coach. He's not particularly loud, and berating people is not in his playbook. His coaching philosophy revolves around culture and care. And as you might have guessed, he's a fan of the Grateful Dead. I think I'm supposed to ask you what's on your heart. Oh, shoot. There's a lot going on right now. It's a really interesting time because we're constructing and reconstructing a team because of the possibilities, because of these guys that are here in this program. It's a really exciting time. There's a lot of positives. There's a lot of really good forward thinking and, and anticipation of stuff going well. So it's, it's a great time right now. Glad to hear it. Well, that, I think, goes to one of the big topics I wanted to talk to you about, which is recognizing talent and potential. You've spent your whole career trying to size up what people are capable of. What do you look for now in a player that you didn't early on? We're advanced in what we appreciate and what we understand is important has expanded. Whereas one time maybe we were more concerned about really getting the fastest guys and the best looking athletes and all of that. We felt like if we just had that, we'd be okay. We look much deeper into the players now and much deeper into with their makeup and capture who they are as soon as we can so that we can go to work with that. You know, And, and so in the process of evaluating players as they come to us, we're trying to figure out the makeup, the chip on the shoulder, the competitiveness, so that we can tap into that. I mean, the most fundamental way I can tell you is I've always looked at guys, I'm trying to figure out who I would want to pick to play on my team if I was playing in the park. <laughs> That's the basics of it. You know, the guy that I want to compete with, it's really trying to uncover that during the process. 
The, the chip on the shoulder phenomenon is really interesting because on the one hand, I can see the motivation that it brings. On the other hand, I imagine it makes people hard to coach sometimes because they have a, a plan and a path, right? And, and who are you to tell me how I should do things? <laughs> no, that's exactly right. But that walking that edge, you know, with guys has really been something that I've taken pride in over the years because I appreciate so much that edge. And I want them to feel like this is a place where they can demonstrate really as openly as they can what's right true to their heart. And so I'm trying to uncover that and try to create an environment so they feel comfortable and free to express themselves. And some guys, you know, they carry it different than other guys. And I, I appreciate the heck out of that. So once I sense that, they get a little attitude with me. You know, <laughs> I want to give them the space because I want them to be whatever that is, that, that whacked out or that crazy or that intense or that, you know, fiery or sometimes it's even the quiet guys too that they go all the way the other way so it's it's the whole spectrum what does that conversation look like if you if you do pick up some attitude from a player the conversation from the beginning is to try to get them to feel comfortable to be open. I know you've talked to Brene Brown. She was one that impressed upon me a long time ago that you got to create an environment of openness and, and of vulnerability so that people will express themselves. They won't hold back. And if anybody's holding back, then I'm screwing it up. So I'm trying to find ways to connect with them. We're a relationship-based you know, setup here, and, and that means that we, we got to get to know who we're dealing with. And so I've got to put them in different situations. I've got to get them to speak. I've got to get them to react. I've got to get them to laugh and tell the sadness of their story and the joy of their story and get to all of those things during the process. So we're a very open, communicative group, and that's where the relationships are so important. I don't need to be friends with them. I just need them to be willing to express themselves and really to be willing to expose themselves for who they are. So that's an ongoing conversation. There's no one way to do it. It takes time, and you got to be a really good observer to, to make the most of it. One of my findings from recent research is that especially in leadership, one of the most powerful ways to elicit vulnerability is to show it. As a leader, I can't expect you to be vulnerable unless I am too. How do you show vulnerability to bring that out in your players? <laughs> Every way I can, really. I'm, I'm trying to be as open as I can possibly be. But more importantly, I've got to get to the source of what's moving me, what's making me think it's worth talking about the topic I'm on. I need to get to where I can go get emotional about it. I mean, I'm doing that because I want to communicate with them really well. And I know that most of the time the communication is most powerful when you, when you are really engaged and really willing to express yourself. And it isn't always the words you say, it's how you say it and how they feel it. So I'm trying to get myself and my coaches and, and my players to that point, because that's when we're really functioning at a high level. It's why we really like to have guys tell their story. Tell us where you come from. Tell us what your background is. And then, man, they go off and they get going. And <laughs> before you know it, sometimes they're emoting and, and, as well. And that just draws everybody. Is there an example that jumps to mind of, you know, of something you shared or opened up about that we wouldn't expect a coach to? I talk about when you really love somebody, you'll do whatever it takes to protect them and to look after them. And I want to express to them what it is to be a father and, and to be a parent. And how far will you go to help your kid be the best they can be and be the safest and the most effective and and have the most fun? How do you get there? And what does that take to do that? I love talking about that topic because it's so real and it's so important for everybody to make their choice how they want to operate that. When I'm talking about the love thing, that to me is really as deep as I can try to go. And I, I try to let myself get there. You must have some colleagues in the NFL who think it's a little unusual for a, a football coach to talk a lot about love. Yeah, I like to think if I can demonstrate to these guys that caring for people is, is your best way to help motivate them and to help reach them and to help, you know, help them find themselves, 
I know that that topic is a little bit different, but I think it's the key to everything. I really think it's the key to everything, all of the relationships with my coaches to help them stay at their best is I got to keep finding ways to keep showing why it's important to me to care for them. I haven't really been a mainstream guy. <laughs> I'm not like in, in the groove of, of the, some of the classics, but I'm not doing that to, to be different. I'm just doing it to try to figure out how to be at my best too. I remember the last time Brene was on this show, she said one of her big takeaways from working with Air Force leaders was that you cannot lead people you don't feel affection mm. for. We have seen this over and again. The, the difference between coaching in college and coaching in the NFL for me has been, and I've been both back and forth. Guys graduate, they leave, and you know they're going, and they, everybody knows it, and then there's, there's kind of an end coming the whole time. Well, the end that's coming in, in professional sports doesn't have a timeline to it. You can kind of age out, but there's not a really defined time. What I've realized here in this job, I think I'm starting my 14th year, you know, so we've been here a long time, that I've lived through careers of guys. And when you care for people as much as we care for them and, and, and go through as much and, and respect what we've experienced together, to come to a point where you have to say, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's over now, you know, and you're, you're done and, and we got to, you know, get ready to move on. I'll help you in every way I can. But for that to take place, that's a huge transition. You know, you don't, you don't cut your family, <laughs> your kids, they're going to be your kids forever. Well, in my, my approach, I'm never leaving these guys when they've been here for a while, I'll be here. No matter how far apart we get or where they go or whatever, I'm not leaving them. That's both moving and unusual to hear. This goes back to your point about asking players to tell their stories. I imagine that not everyone opens up right away. So when just asking what's your story isn't enough, how do you begin to get to know them? It's really just by relating. Competition is the central theme in our program. We've used competing as a way to get guys to interact and get guys to, you know, have to show themselves and have to battle. We shoot hoops, you know, almost every day in, in their meetings. And it just gives us a, an environment kind of and a, and a tool to have fun. When you're having fun, Often you're not worrying about, you know, how you're coming across and you're getting close to who you are. And, and, and I can see the guys that aren't and that are struggling with it. But it's also just being receptive and being available. So when the other times come so that you can come in the office or you can catch them in the hallway or hang out with them or whatever. You have some rules in place to try to facilitate that. Tell me about your Seahawks rules. <laughs> well, they're pretty basic. Always protect the team is rule number one. And it gives me a chance to talk about what that means. That's about your conscience. You hold people that are on your team in your conscience always, and you have a mindfulness of them, and you do what it takes to protect them and look after them. Rule number two that I, I borrowed from uh, uh, Coach John Wooden is no whining, no complaining, no excuses. That's a mindset for us that has to do with how you talk, you know, how you communicate with people. And do you share your ugly thoughts about something or whatever? Or do you try to help one another be positive and be supportive and, 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 and work to bring out the best in people? And, and uh, so that's, that's a another part of it. And then rule number three, and I tell you, they're really short and they're really easy, is uh, be early. Again, it gives me a chance to, to communicate to the guys, you know, what's important. To me, it's about priorities, you know, getting organized and getting your life together so that you can show respect, which is the, the biggest aspect of rule number three, towards the people around you, that I'm prepared to come to wherever the meeting is or where we're supposed to go. I figured out my plan. I got up on time. I ate on time and got to the building on time, whatever, and I, I had a plan about it. That's getting your priorities in order so that you can present yourself in the best light. And when we talk about that, we talk about respect a lot. And I've asked guys over the years, okay, tell me what respect is. And they got a million answers. It's hard to figure 
figure out what respect is. So we've, we've brought it to using the word regard, how you regard something or somebody. When you think about regard in terms of respect, you can also think, how do you regard yourself? How do you present yourself? Do you present yourself where you, it shows that it's important how you present yourself, or do you not care? It, it doesn't matter to you. And like you, you dress crappy, you, you don't pay attention to people, you, don't, you, know, you, you, you may listen, you may not, you may do right, you may not. That's all an opportunity to, to demonstrate your self-regard and self-respect. And so if you want to be at your best, you got to present yourself your best as well. Those rules have a lot that I can work with, and I can pretty much run the show <laughs> on that. <laughs> and so it's, it's helped me over the years. They're easy to remember, but they're also powerful. The no excuses one is interesting to me. I, I find that I sometimes get in trouble on this because I'll, I'll try to explain my behavior, not to excuse it, and people confuse the explanation yeah. for an excuse. Yeah. How, how do you separate those two things? To me, it's intent. And if you mean well and, you, and, you know, and you're trying to explain yourself or, or, or describe why you did something or make sense of it, if it's true to you, then it doesn't really matter kind of what they think about it because in the end, they'll figure it out. If you're making it up and you're BSing, then they're going to find you out. It's really just getting to the truth. You modeled that in a very powerful way in a moment that I'm sure you're tired of talking about, but I have to ask because I think it's so fascinating on two levels. If we go back to the 2015 Super Bowl, you made a pass call, I think 25 seconds left that got intercepted, Seahawks lost the game, and you immediately took the blame. I think you, you said to your team, that's my fault, totally. I thought that was an incredible leadership moment. How did you get there? <laughs> well... Through a lot of years of preparing for that moment, you know, I always go to myself first in terms of accountability. And I mean, if if somebody doesn't act according to the way I would like them to as a coach or whatever, and the first thing I think is maybe I didn't explain it to him right. Maybe he, I wasn't clear enough that he understood, you know, where I'm coming from. And so I'm not going to blame him. I'm going to figure out how can I do a better job to help them be more effective and be in accordance with me. Well. I'm asking our guys to be to hold themselves accountable for everything that we're doing. It's got to start with me. There's moments. They're not that frequent, but there's rare moments when things happen when, you know, accountability is really the most important thing. And what are you going to do when the time comes? You know, and in my mind, I've prepared myself for those moments and I want to demonstrate the epitome of poise and understanding and clarity and all of that. So really in the the instant that that play happened, I think I bent down and then I by the time I stood up, I said, "Well, here you go. You know, this is that time because I realized how much just occurred and I knew that in going in the locker room there was going to be an array of concerns you know with emotions and all of the life effect that, that it has as an athlete and a coach you know, you, you know those, those rare moments and I didn't want to leave it any gray area I didn't want to I didn't want them to have to think about this or that or the other thing or, or come up with their own I'll take it you know and, and then I'll deal with it and then I have prepared for years to to be able to, to, to do that, whether it was preparing for um, the good or the bad of it, you know, I, I want to be ready for it. Wow. How did the team react when you took responsibility? I said, you guys are going to take this differently. It's going to hit everybody uh, in, in their own individual way. And, and we want to give space for, for people to respond the way they do. We're going to have to figure out how we're going to, you know, how we're going to move forward. But I, I but I think it's going to take us some time. I don't think I mentioned that, that it was going to be a grieving process, but it was a grieving process. And, you know, you got to take the time that it takes to, to get your mind clear and, and to be on your stuff. Pete, one of the things that's, that, that's salient to me in a situation like that is psychologists have found that it's easier to admit some of your failures and shortcomings when you've achieved success. And I wonder, would that moment have been harder if you hadn't come off a Super Bowl victory the previous year? 
Yeah, I had some extraordinary times in in, uh, in Los Angeles at SC that helped me, you know, shape the way I wanted to be. That's why I said I was prepared enough. I, I've anticipated if something goes really terrible that you know I'm going to handle that too. And and so I've had enough time to get to that. And I think the the winning certainly had a big factor winning the year before. But I think it's more than that. I think it's much deeper than that than just the, you know, the one Super Bowl win. Mm-hmm. Now. I want to challenge our football fan listeners to rethink their view of your play call in that situation. I was talking with Annie Duke about this recently, and I think it's such a clear example of what she calls resulting, right? Where, okay, the interception happened, therefore, it must have been a bad decision. But empirically, I don't buy that, right? I think the interception rate in a situation like that is something like 1% or 2%. And if, if you had scored a touchdown there and won the Super Bowl, people would have called you a genius, Right. So Annie would say, you made a good decision that happened to have a rare bad outcome. Where do you come down on that? After time thinking about it, that's kind of how I express it, too. It wasn't the, the worst decision. It was the worst outcome. All of the time it takes to get your mentality correct and get close to fully functioning, you've got to have the goods and the bads. You have to go through it. I, I hate learning the hard way. I always want the other guy to learn the hard way. But I do appreciate the fact that it's important and we have to pick ourselves up and, and, and respect that to really work to prevent that. But I, I, I agree with her. <laughs> That's exactly how I interpreted it. Well, this is, I think, one of the biggest challenges of your job as a coach, right, is you have to learn from decisions where there's a lot of luck, sometimes good, sometimes bad involved. Sure. So when you analyze your your judgments, how do you figure out like, what, what was the situation and what was on you? We've got a, a format for that. It's called Tell the Truth Monday. It's get to the essence of what it just took place. And, and try to share that with everybody so everybody can share in that as well. I don't think I get 100% of buy-in all the time on my interpretation of the truth, but that I try to do that really well. And that's to you know really step back and get clear and listen to the people around you and, and watch the, the players and the coaches and how everybody, you know, can express what took place and then, and then try to present that so that we can put it somewhere and move on. That's the whole point of tell the truth. It's not, not about getting to the truth of it as much as getting on. It's just as difficult to respond to a great win as it is to a great loss. Whatever enters into your mind when you're trying to perform at your best, it's a distraction. It doesn't matter what kind of distraction it is. Any of those factors can keep you from finding the clarity it takes to perform at your best. So I got to get rid of that. That's that we got to, we got to put that behind us and, and, and stick the big win or the big loss behind us so that we can take the next step we take getting back to the basics. And that's why I theme it like it's competition Wednesday for us is there's a big purpose in that. The, the reason is we're going to go back to competing. We're going to go back to focusing on our craft, focusing on what it takes to, to play good, good ball. And part of that is battling and go out and, and, and you know, trying to win on the practice field. And that's all to try to draw our focus away from what took place and into what's really important. And that's getting good at what you do. Hey, Rethinking listeners, we're supported by our friends at Working Smarter, a new podcast from Dropbox exploring the exciting potential of AI in the workplace. Working Smarter talks with founders, researchers, and engineers about the things they're building and the problems they're solving with the help of the latest AI tools. Tools that can save them time, improve collaboration, and create more space for the work that matters most. On Working Smarter, hear practical discussions about what AI can do so that you can work smarter, too. Listen to Working Smarter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
or visit workingsmarter.ai. Support for the show comes from Brooks Running. I'm so excited because I have been a runner, gosh, my entire adult life. And for as long as I can remember, I have run with Brooks Running Shoes. Now I'm running with a pair of Ghost 16s from Brooks. Incredibly lightweight shoes that have really soft cushioning. It feels just right when I'm hitting my running trail that's just out behind my house. You now can take your daily run in the better than ever Ghost 16. You can visit brooksrunning.com to learn more. Are you up for some rapid fire questions and answers? Let it rip. What's a book that we should all read? My favorite book was Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism. And it was a book by a guy named Chogim Trungpa. And I've read it back in my college days and I've never been the same. But I would give you one other one though too. The Inner Game is a great book too. I love that one. What was the thing that hit you hardest from Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism? I'm not familiar with it. Helping yourself do things for the right reasons. You get to the truth, get to the source, get to the uh, what's authentic, you know, and, and represent that way. Who is your coaching role model? Bud Grant is really my favorite guy. He has great taste in a last name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He just passed away recently, and I only coached with him for one season. He hired me after I got fired in the NFL after my first year. He hired me in the, back into the league, and then he retired after that year. But we remain connected throughout all of the years. But he's he's affected me the most. His extraordinary abilities and just the person that he was, you know, was really affecting me in a big way. But he's a great observer and he just didn't miss stuff. He could hear things, see things kind of almost before they'd happen. And he had awareness that, you know, that could only envy. But I just love the guy and he was, he was a great winner. Speaking of being fired and the opposite of winning, what's the biggest lesson you've learned about how to bounce back from a setback, whether it's losing your job or losing a game? Don't sanction the person that fired you. <laughs> <laughs> if you buy into it and you think that you were beaten and that, that was the truth, that you should have been kicked out, then I don't know how to bounce back. Anybody that let me go, I thought they made a mistake. And that's kind of that chip on the shoulder that we talked about a little bit. I'm just not going to sanction that decision. I remember the time I got fired at the Jets. The first thought that hit my mind is that I got two more years on my contract. We got to go to Disney World. <laughs> In my world, you know, they, there's a lot of people talking about it and it's, you get a lot of exposure about it and all that and a lot of criticism and all. And uh, you got to stand strong. So that, that's, that's part of the mentality of competing to me. What would you say is the worst advice you've ever gotten? In, anybody that's trying to tell you to act like somebody else. I had a, a coaching job. The people in charge wanted me to be, you know, more like this guy. And we can't, why can't we do it more like that? And, and fortunately, my mentors that, that I checked in with kept telling me, you know, to, Stay the course. You'll never be any good at being somebody else. Who would you say is the most underrated player in football, past or present? This guy may not be underrated, but I thought Troy Polamalu was one of the greatest players I ever was ever around. He's a Hall of Famer and all that, but I don't know. He he never got enough credit in my book. Did not expect a Steeler to come up, but we'll take it. What's an interview question that you found especially insightful when you're looking at either a potential draft pick or a player to vet? Why do you, you know, treasure this this player? You know, what is it? What is it that you treasure? That to me, and I'm not answering that because of his numbers, you know, and I'm not answering that because of his stats and how big he is. I would answer it because I'd want to be able to express why I think so highly of them and, you know, what I appreciate most about them and, and, and why we would make a decision to bring him on your club. Is there something that you've rethought recently? I've just jumped back into my work in a way that I haven't done in a few years, and I'm really excited about it. I just feel that 
the connection to going for it right now in, in a little bit different way. And my whole world has shifted forward, and I'm really excited about it. And what it means is I'm just getting more involved with one side of the football and the defensive side just because I want to, you know, and, and, I, and I want to help, and I want to be there to give them everything I got. And I, I felt like I, I had more to offer. So it's really been exciting, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Wow. What, what pulled you to defense? Well, that's just kind of always been my strength, and I just think it's time to to, to re, revisit it. And so, rethinking is to is to take a step back, but yet with new vision and new eyes and, and all of that. So I'm excited about it. It's almost like you used to be a defensive coordinator and defensive backs coach. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Old habits die hard. Yep. Since you're a fellow podcast host here, is there a question you want to ask me as an organizational psychologist? Knowing that you're always pressed to get to the next idea, like rethink, you know, um, how do you handle that? How do you deal with the fact that, okay, I got to reinvent, you know, another concept or a principle? Because I think that's an exciting challenge for somebody who's been creative. Okay, how are you going to, you know, paint another starry night, you know, what kind of thing? I think early on, I made the mistake of, of saying, all right, I don't want to get typecast. I, I don't want to keep doing the greatest hits or I don't even believe in nonfiction sequels. Mm. Once an idea has, you know, has grown big enough for, you know, a series of studies or a book, then it's time to move on. And not everybody wants you to move on, right? sure. which is always a challenge. But I think I was a little bit too eager to say, if I'm excited about an idea, that's enough. Mm-hmm. And it's not enough because as you well know from from writing, ideas can follow you for a long time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's a curse of success, right? Is that you can't ever escape your past work. One of the things I've tried to pay more attention to is not just what's interesting to me, but what do other people care about? What do they keep asking questions about? And then also, where do I have a novel perspective to, to bring to the table, right? Sure. Even if something is, you know, is exciting personally and, you know, it matters to other people, like, I, I don't think, for example, the world needs yet another leadership book at this point. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm probably not going to write one. But there are other topics that I feel like are massively underrepresented. And so I want to go where there's interest, where there's importance, but there's not necessarily a lot of light that's been shined. I'm kind of stuck being a ball coach, too. <laughs> you know, there's not much I can do about that. But um, there's a lot of ways that, that uh, I'm interested in continuing to find out how that makes sense in other ways also. I think one of the things that's most interesting about your role is that you're really shepherding people through you know, a major transition in mm-hmm. life. In a lot of cases, from college to being a professional athlete, and then to something you touched on earlier, to walking away from the game that's defined their entire life. How do you help people navigate those transitions? I, I don't need to tell you. It's, it can be a massive loss of identity. It's the main deal that these guys have to have to deal with. And I, I liken it to um, guys coming out of the fighting in wars, you know, and the, and the guys that are in the in service and they give their life to the guy next to them to keep them alive. That takes so much of, of yourself that um, you can't see yourself as anything other than that. And the football players, myself included, I've never gotten over it, really. You know, I've still got a chip on my shoulder about it. This guy shouldn't have cut me when he cut me the last time. You know, I, I was just still, still be playing. It's a major issue to deal with. And it needs to be understood and respected because it's real. And when you've primarily thought of yourself as a player, as a football player, any sport, and then all of a sudden you don't have that to wake up to where you can act on it, you don't know 
who you are without it. When you're a mom and the kids leave the house, you know, when you're married and then you're not, when, you know, when, the, when those things change, those major shifts that happen in your life, somebody passes away, I don't have that person any longer. It really takes consideration and love and, and caring and time and, and grieving and all of those things to get back on track. The game has been the purpose, you know, it's been why you do stuff, you know, and everything kind of fits around it. When that goes away, you got to rediscover. And to wait till it's over, it's, it's late. It's late in the process. There could be some real pitfalls, and they see it all the time with our guys. They really have tr- trouble finding their way. And so we hope to be always connected. That's why I always want to be connected to the guys, so at least we can continue to communicate. And I can see them, who they are, it's because we're always ball players. You know, we, we are, and, and I can't get away with it. You're always a guy that fought in a war. You, you can't get away from it. You don't want to, I don't think. I think you need to hold on to that because that has been a major part of your upbringing, and you need to stay connected to that. But we have to go. We have to grow. From one year to the next, I, I, I hammer my coaches on this thought to get ready. They're coming back. It's a new year. They're not going to be the same as they were last year. If you expect them to be exactly the same, you're going to be mistaken. So you have to be open to the newness of that that comes to you. And you have to observe and listen and watch and, and, and be tuned into all of that. It's that clarity that gives you a chance to deal with the things that are uncomfortable or that don't feel just right. Or a person doesn't come across like they used to. They don't talk to you the same way that they used to. They don't respect you in the same way. They may respect you more even. You just have to be wide open. And there's that openness and that willingness to to listen and to watch really carefully and to be a great observer is crucial in moving forward. When you talk about what's new, it reminds me you're a big believer in the importance of beginnings. You've often said that the first day is when you make mistakes that can haunt a team for years. How do you approach those beginnings to make sure you don't make those those disastrous mistakes? Well, one of the ways is anybody can have a good day. You know, can you come back and have another good day? And it's not unlike you can win a big game, but can you come back and win another one? Can you get refocused and can you get tuned in? It's just like you're talking about. It's about rethinking. Can you get on the wavelength that you need to be on to be at your best? And can you return to that? I haven't mentioned the word, but the word trust is really important here. If you've been able to be effective at what you do then and, and you have acknowledged that, that doesn't mean you need to be cocky about it and shove it in somebody's face. You just need to know the truth. And then when you know the truth, what did it take for me to get there? And and then, okay, how do I reconstruct my path to get back on course again? That's a day-to-day thing. I mean, like, I kid them all the time. Okay, yeah, we had a great day of practice yesterday, but that didn't mean anything because that day's already gone. What are you going to do now? It's been a really helpful tool because it, you reset and, and you don't get swayed or affected by what happened in, in the past in any other way than to build your belief. And yeah, I can do this again. I, I, yeah, I can get that done. So there's a real discipline to that. We've talked a lot about care and relationships and the importance of connecting with people. I know that, especially earlier in your career, you got a lot of criticism for being too soft on players, too laid back, and you didn't change your style. Why not? And what would you, <laughs> what would you say to those critics now? Because clearly they were wrong. They didn't understand. They didn't know. You know and, and they didn't know what was important and what was happening. They just knew it was different. And different was bad. And different, that's a terrible thing. When things aren't like you want them to be, you think they're wrong, you know, or they're bad. And I haven't been a typical coach. I think it was my second year of coaching in, at the University of the Pacific back in the day when I was a graduate assistant. I was at a, a night meeting during camp as a defensive back coach. And I had a thought to ask the guys, what do they need to work on? in the drills tomorrow, you know, what, what can I do to help you, you know? And all of a sudden these guys started, I mean, I filled up a chalkboard with, with ideas and things that they wanted to do. It was like the best meeting I'd ever had because all of a sudden they were interacting and we're going and we're working. And so the meeting's over and, you know, I, I 
take off and I jog back to the to the off the football office and the first guy I run into is my, my old head coach Chester Caddis, you know, old Kentucky guy, you know, was Southern is an old style and, and authoritarian as you can be. And 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 I said, Coach, I just had the best meeting I ever had. He said, well, what happened? I said, well, I asked the guys what they wanted to work on in practice tomorrow, and they were all fired up, and they told me a million things. They said, don't you ever ask them to what they want to do. You don't ever want to know you're listening to what their their considerations are. And so I just ended up slumping. Oh, because I love my coach. And I thought, oh, man, I, just, I was totally wrong. You know, and I thought, I thought about it for a couple minutes. I, got, I left, and I thought, wait a minute. That, I was just there. I watched what happened. That was freaking awesome. And so... I did just what I said I was going to do, and we did the drills that they were talking about. And, and that point forward, you know, I, I realized that I was <laughs> I was on a different wavelength than the guy I was working for. I, it was really a big moment. Look, I still remember it. It was just that moment of when you it connect with people and they communicate with you and, and they realize that you care enough that you would ask them, and then you'll act on it and you'll back it up and you'll come through for them. The relationship just skyrocketed. It's such a deceptively simple idea. Right. I think it is. To say that if you want to show people that you care about them and also that you're invested in their growth, ask them how they want to grow. Tell me a story, you know. If I was going to try to help a company do better, a corporation or something like that, I'd go right to dealing with your people. Start a level of communication that isn't present and is uncommon and and show them why it's important to see how extraordinarily unique they are and uncover that and, and make them realize that you care about understanding that. And then you recognize them. And in essence, you see them and you hear them. I don't know how you can't perform at a higher level if that if that's the way you deal with the people in your company. I don't care what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It's getting people to realize that you see them at their best. And then that's not easy. You know, it's not just automatic that you do that. You got to work at it. And that, that work that you put in and the time that you spend, that's where the real sweet stuff is. So given your passion for growing and learning, what are you hoping to get better at this year? I'm real specific about that now. I need to really, really do a good job of listening to my guys now. I've got to, I've got to draw from my coaches everything that they got. And, and that means I've got to just be on point Every single moment I've stepped into this building and whenever I'm with them and when I'm not, I, I can't stop competing at helping. I had a coach one time. I said, well, hey, I was, I'm sitting on a beach here. I had a thought about a pass route. And the guy says, you're sitting on a beach. And I said, yeah, I was in Hawaii sitting on the beach. And I had a thought. Of it, so I called you and I'm calling you. And he said, well, when I go to the beach, I don't think about anything. <laughs> he said, what are you doing? So I, I realized I, I can't turn it off, you know, and, and I really don't want to. When the brain goes, you got to go with it, you know, and it's just too important. And that's competing to, I got to do that with my guys. That's what, that's what this year is all about, is helping them be great at what they do. And, and then, you know, we'll get all the good stuff if we do that. Well, I'm excited to see where it takes you. And for the record, I cannot imagine what it's like to not think about anything. <laughs> either. I know, we're, we're cursed, but that's okay. That's okay. I have no complaints here, and you don't allow complaints anyway, so yeah, that's right. I'm not going to complain either. There you go. Regardless. That's it. Rule number two. Pete, this has been a lot of fun and super informative, too. Oh, I appreciate that. Pete has me thinking a lot about the importance of communicating our standards to other people. So many times when they disappoint us, we think it's due to their actions, but it's actually because their behavior fell short of our expectations. And in many cases, it's because they didn't know what we expected. If you want people to rise to the occasion, you need to communicate what your expectations are. And if you want to live up to other people's expectations, you have to find out what they are. 
Rethinking is hosted by me, Adam Grant, and produced by Ted with Cosmic Standard. Our team includes Colin Helms, Eliza Smith, Jacob Winnick, Asia Simpson, Samaya Adams, Michelle Quint, Ben Ben Chang, Hannah Kingsley Ma, Julia Dickerson, and Whitney Pennington Rogers. This episode was produced and mixed by Cosmic Standard. Original music by Hansdale Sue and Allison Layton Brown. Seems like you and Ted Lasso would get along with his idea of players becoming like a goldfish and having sort of a 10-second memory. <laughs> I've not watched that. I've only saw the first episode. What? No, I don't watch it. You haven't watched Ted Lasso? No, I'm going to watch it some other time. But I, I, I love the, th- you know, what he's doing and, and how it's coming across and the effect that he's had on people. I think his ways is marvelous. But I don't want to get affected by any of those things that they throw out. I want to be me. I don't want to be Ted.